All right, my next guest, author, teacher, athlete, coach, and now with a new book, Mr. John Linsky. How are you? I'm great, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, it's an honor to be here, and it's so great to see you. This is going to be fun, yeah. man. So I've known you since I was a teenager, yes. and there's a chapter of your life that I know very little about, and that's your relationship with the Allman Brothers. How did that happen? How did that come to be? Well, that's quite a question, and it's quite a backstory, so I'll, I'll give the, the short version. I grew up at the perfect time for what we now call classic rock. I was born in 1960, so I came to age in the early 70s, and I lived down in what is now Palmetto Bay, and I was very fortunate. I was the youngest kid in the neighborhood, and I hung out with guys that were two, three years older than me. And that doesn't seem like anything now, but when you're 12 it's and they're 15... They taught me a lot. They taught me a lot about sports, but they also taught me a lot about music. And one of the groups they got me into was the Allman Brothers Band. But this was the era of all the great bands. But the Allmans, and my taste are eclectic, mm -hmm. you know, from America and Hall and & Oates to ZZ Top and everything in between. But it was the Allman Brothers that really caught me. And, and I just loved their intensity their focus and their story of tragedy and triumph and overcoming and continuing to make truly unique music. How did you get connected with them? Though? Okay, okay. So <laughs> you're, you're down here in Miami, they're up yeah, in... Yeah, well, so what happened was the band went through a series of lineup changes and yeah. breakups, but I always kept track of what was going on. In 1989, they got together again for a 20th re anniversary reunion tour. And I don't know if you remember Sunrise Musical Theater. Of course. Great venue. One of my favorites. The brothers are playing Sunrise. So I said, okay, I'm going to go check this out. This is 1989, so I'm 29. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't remember how. This is before, you know, the internet and sure. everything. I knew what their tour manager looked like. His name is Kirk West. And I happened to see him in the parking lot just walking around. And I, I walked up to him, and I introduced myself. I said, I, you're Kirk West, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, on my better days, I'm Kirk West. And I told him, you know, I'm Allman Brothers fan. And we just start, you know, going back and forth. And after a few minutes, he goes, you know a lot. I said, yeah, I know a little. Because as a history guy, as you know, right. when you study something, you get into it. Yeah. And as I got into the Vietnam War or World War II or American history, I got into the Allman Brothers. And he said, we need people like you because no one in this organization can remember anything. <laughs> and that's how it started. We built this relationship, and Kirk started a fanzine called Hitting the Note magazine, mm -hmm. okay, which was just dedicated to the Allman Brothers, came out four times a year, and he said, do you want to write? I said, well, what do you want me to write? He said, whatever you want. So I wrote a couple little stories. Right. They liked them, and long story short, I ended up becoming the editor of the magazine, mm -hmm. and we had a great run from 1992 to 2014, and wow. we expanded greatly from not just the Allman Brothers, but into other artists, and uh, my role gradually increased. Mm -hmm. Be being an educator, we all know the best part of that is you get summer off. So starting in 1995, I started going on the road with the band, selling merchandise and, and, and handling situations, and sort of became known as the band historian. It was like, uh, yeah, go ask Linsky. He knows that shit, you know? Yeah. So um, that's how it developed. And then it went even further when they started putting out archival releases, you know, from the vault. Sure. I got to write the liner notes, and I eventually ended up getting to select shows and things like that. And then, to further push it, in 2009, Kirk had purchased the big house in Macon, Georgia, which was the band's home from 1970 to 73. Classic hippie commune group yeah. living home, and that has been turned into a museum with the largest collection of Almond Brothers memorabilia in the world. I was involved from day one on the board while I was still working at Columbus. And my wife and I had always talked about, you know, eventually, you know, let's get out of Miami. Yeah. I, COVID had a lot to do with it, mm -hmm. and we saw an opportunity. And, um, and so 
two and a half years ago. We left Miami, uh, and I am now the uh, historian, uh, you know, the resident historian at the big house and still involved with Columbus. So, Dan, it's the best of both worlds. It's amazing. So drawing back on your experience as a teacher, and then you're thrown into this world-famous rock and roll band, and then you tour them. What was that experience like, and and what could you take from being an educator and I'm sure rock and roll guys are not as buttoned up as a teacher. Uh, what, 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 what lessons learned and what could you bring to the band you know, based on your experience? It was a give and take yeah. situation. Yes, at first, it, it's pretty overwhelming. First, you got to deal with the fact that, oh, these are my heroes. Right, right. You know, you've got to get past yeah. that. And, and, and you know how it is, even dealing with, for example, your old teachers, there's right. still that thing. So it takes a while. To get past that. And then you you do, and you realize, well, this is what they do for a living. And you're not here to be a fan. You're here to work. Right. And if you screw it up, they'll get rid of you. Yeah. You know, so you get a chance and you can't blow it. Right. So I was smart enough not to blow it because I was organized. And that came from teaching. So it was interesting is most of the guys in the band and the crew and, and management, a lot of their moms had been in education. Interesting. And they thought it was very cool that I was an educator. They didn't think it was a a bad thing. They thought it was wonderful. And they said, it's great, man. A guy like you working with kids, you work with all boys. And they thought it was fantastic. (laughs) So from school, I brought a sense of organization, I guess. You know, you got to be on time. Yeah. You know, because musicians, every day ends in Y. It doesn't matter, (laughs) you know. And so a little structure, a little organization. Um, and from them, because things happen all the time, going back to school at the end of the summer, you learn when things get sideways how to improvise. Yeah. And so it was a great mixture where both sides of my career benefited from the other. What is easier, to manage a famous rock band or Christopher Columbus boys? Well, let's, I, I never managed. <laughs> yeah, them, I know, but know, yeah. But, uh, Try to help organize them. You know, I'll be honest with you. In some ways, it's it's very much the same because a lot of musicians are still teenagers at heart. Yeah. You know, they've never had, quote, a real job. Yeah. You know, and, and so they're still, a lot of, in a lot of ways, kids at heart. And so that was easy, you know. There was a relationship there. Uh, but what I really learned is when you're in a situation like that, it's a bubble. You're in a bubble, and you're with people for weeks at a time, and it's a small group, and if you don't learn how to be a team player, yeah. it's not going to work. You know? and, and I really valued that you know? because there's, when you're that close for that long, you, know, you, you learn things good and bad about each other. Yeah. And uh, So that, I would say... Teenage boys at Columbus, particularly when you guys were in yeah. school, you guys could be a handful. <laughs> but being with a rock band is also like herding cats. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a little well, bit of both. What's it like going on tour with a rock band? You know, everybody thinks it's so glamorous out there. And, yeah. I, of course, yeah. there's great opportunities. But like anything, you know, um, it can. It, most of all, it's tiring. Mm-hmm. Now, listen... I got to see amazing places, go parts of the country I never would have seen in a million years, people I never would have met. But it is, people, people don't quite understand how, how hard it can be to, you know, you've got three shows in four nights in, yeah. you know, four different cities. And, you know, but what was really interesting about that was because as an educator, you know, during the school year, I'd get up at like 4.30 in the morning yeah. to be at school and everything. And then everything would change where you're basically going to bed at 4.30. <laughs> so going back to school right after coming off the road was, man, it's, you talk about jet lag. Yeah. It was the same kind of thing. I, I think, um, yes, there is a lot of glitz and glitter, but what it's not like... The Almond Brothers in the seventies, right? I mean, that was craziness. Crazy. It was absolute, total craziness, and you know, and 
Obviously, I didn't experience that. So I experienced, you know, they're older, perhaps perhaps wiser, (laughs) you know, making better decisions. How many times did the Allman Brothers break up and then get back together? They broke up three times. Three times. And got back together. And you got, so if you joined them in 89, that was the last time they finally got together and had a good run, right? Yeah, the next 25 years. It was supposed to be one summer and it turned into 25 years. 89 was an interesting year. A lot of bands got back together. Mm-hmm. Whatever Classic rock came back and right. broke. You know, good things circled back, right? So the Allman Brothers got back together. The Who got back together. The Doobies, the Stones. And so yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a sweet spot. And it was, it was great for me to, to feel like a kid again. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it lasted another 25 years. And so I was very fortunate to be a big part of that. Yeah. And I was older, And, you know, not like I was 20 years old starting this, you know. You know, I married, had kids. Yeah. Saying to my girls, well, I'll see you in in three weeks, you know. (laughs) I'm on the road. Yeah. Um, But uh, it was quite, there's so many memories. It's like, you know, taking a scroll and just unraveling it. And you remember individual cities and individual shows and, 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 and moments in time that are fascinating and, and, you know, favorite venues, yeah. you know, favorite cities to go to. Um, Interesting people you met. Oh, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Dan. You understand that America is such a diverse country yeah. and how they think in the Midwest and how they speak yeah. in the Northeast and what they eat in the Pacific Northwest. It's, 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 it's really quite something. And that, that is probably the experience I value as a person the most. Mm. You know, just it broadened my horizons greatly. What do you think kept them together that last leg, that twenty-five year stretch? At first, it was money. It, <laughs> right, at right. First, yeah, they historically money. were big partiers and blew a ton of cash. You know, and they got ripped off by their record company and right. management, which is you know classic nineteen yeah, seventies. Totally. You know, you you sign a contract, you make some money, you find out you don't have it. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and then I think. It was the reality of understanding that when they were right and then when they were good and when they were on, they were the best live performance band of all time. And I think they really, yes, the money and everything else, all of the guys in the band loved playing music for the sake of music. And they knew they were different. They knew they were innovative. They were never a radio band. Rambling man aside. Yeah, 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 yeah. They Southern were a rock, live, yeah. yeah, they were a live performance band. And yeah. and that's what they built themselves as. And I saw them, I don't know, whatever it was, 300 times. And, and you were going to get a different show every night. Really? Yes. I could not have gone on the road with a band that played the same set list, the same songs, the same way every night. That would have been torture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were not like that. Um... Tell me about the big house. I go there. I'm gonna go there. What what do I expect? Like what, what what goes on there? I know it has memorabilia and it's the history, but what I don't know a whole lot about it. Okay, like a lot of bands, when the Almonds first got together, they were young, early twenties. They didn't have any money, right? And, and and so you would put the Grateful Dead did it, the Doobie Brothers did it, you know, Skinner did it. Yeah. Put everybody in one house, you share the rent, it's good for the wallet, but it's also good for camaraderie yeah. and, and chemistry. And so the Allman Brothers moved from Jacksonville, where they came together, to Macon in, in 1969, because that's where the record company was, in Macon, Georgia, Capricorn. Capricorn, Records. right. Correct. And so they, were look, they lived in a couple different places, and then one day, Dwayne Allman's wife, Donna, uh, Dwayne, the founder of the band, mm-hmm one of the greatest guitarists of all time, and the bass player, Barry Oakley, his wife, Linda, saw an ad in the Macon paper, two twenty-five a month to rent this house on Vineville Avenue. So they go there, and it's a turn-of-the-century, three-story Tudor house that had been built by the governor of Georgia. It was a magnificent house when it was built. Mm-hmm. Linda Oakley looked at it and said, man, this is a big house, and that's how it got its name. And for the next three years, it was the center of their universe. Everybody lived there at one time, crashed there on the third floor. The roadies lived up on the yeah. third floor, and uh, the house never slept. 
and it was not only their their home, it was their their meeting place, their rehearsal space, their writing space, and it was a haven, because I want you to think about something for a second. Five white hippie boys and a black dude in Macon, Georgia in 1969. I think it was probably worse being the hippie boys. They were the first long hairs right. in Macon, and now you got a black guy with you. Yeah. But to them, music was colorblind. And so the big house was their haven. Mm-hmm. And ironically, Dan, it was a woman's home because they were on the road all the time. So the women held it down. Wow. You know, and made it a home. Two little girls lived there, Dwayne Allman's daughter, Barry Oakley's daughter. It was really a woman's place. The guys would come home for three days and then leave again for three weeks. <laughs> and so they crammed three hundred years of living into those three years. Um, wrote great songs there. Yeah. You know, uh, came together as a band. And it was a marvelous place, but unfortunately... The Allman Brothers are marked by triumph and tragedy. Uh, Dwayne Allman died in October 1971 in a motorcycle wreck. He left the big house before he had his accident. A year later, Barry Oakley died in a motorcycle wreck coming back to the big house. They were both 24 years old, and odds three blocks apart. Weird symmetry. When Oakley died, the band moved out of the house, and it became many different things. It was a beauty parlor at one point. As I mentioned earlier, my friend, the tour manager, Kirk West, purchased the home. He had a huge Almond Brothers collection. He loved it. He wanted to keep the history alive. And he and his wife, Kirsten, kind of set up a stealth museum. People found out, hey, man, the, the manager of the, the band lives at the big house. And all of a sudden, people were showing up, knocking, hey, man, can we check out the house? And they did that, God bless them, for like 12 years from 1993 to like 2000. So all you had to do was just knock on their door and say, I'm a I fan? was one of those people. Really? Yes. And they were great about it. But you know what? Eventually, you know, it's 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, and <laughs> okay. Jurgen from Finland is knocking on your front door because he just flew in from Helsinki. You're not going to tell him no. Right. But they couldn't do it anymore, so we got very fortunate. Some Wall Street guys, big Almond Brothers fan. New York City was... Loved the Allman Brothers. Loved them. These Wall Street guys kicked in $2 million, bought the house from Kirk and Kirsten, renovated, made it museum-worthy, found a way to purchase all these artifacts. Long story short, we opened as a museum in 2009 and now draw 20,000 people a year to Macon, Georgia. And the best part, yes, as your brother will tell you, the, the first floor is all music history. Yeah. From the very beginning to the very end, you know, guitars, clothing, song sheets, you name it, speakers, you know. Upstairs, though, God bless her, Linda Oakley, Barry Oakley's widow, kept all their furniture in storage for 40 years. Wow. So she said, when we open, if you guys are going to do this, you're going to do it right. She came in, brought all this furniture with her and recreated the second floor as it was when they lived there with their furniture. So it is a time capsule. Wow. And you really get the vibe when you go up to the second floor. You sense that, listen, everybody's got a home, right? Yeah. Tom Hanks has a home. Snoop Dogg has a home. This was their home. This was their furniture. This is the bedroom. This is the, the party room. And it blows people's minds. I'll be honest with you. They don't know what to expect. And when they walk out of it, they're like, oh, my God. There's a pool table in there that belonged to Greg and Cher later in the set. It's quite something. It's a little overwhelming. So that guy that flies in from Finland now, yeah, what's that experience like for him? Is it extra special? That I've seen, Dan, I've seen grown men mm-hmm. cry. Really? These two dudes came in from Brazil one time. And, I mean, it was they had a terrible trip. They got there, and in one of the items we have is Dwayne Allman's 57 Les Paul gold top that he played not only with the Allman Brothers, he played with Eric Clapton on the the Derek and the Dominoes album, Layla, which was recorded down here at Criteria Studios, by the way. So we have that guitar. They saw that guitar, and they, they like, teared up. They couldn't believe it. It's fascinating for me because I remember that feeling. Right. I'm here. You know, this is it. And, man... They come in from Europe. I mean, we're over COVID now. Right. You name it. 
Croatia, France, Italy, Germany, the United Kingdom. But the biggest fanatics of all, of all are the Japanese. Why so? They love American music, and they particularly love blues rock. So Interesting. It is. I was blown away by it the first time I saw I mean, Japan yeah. to Macon, Georgia? Yeah, it's not an easy trip. No. And they go crazy. And they love it, and they know their stuff. And what's beauty, beautiful is music is an international right. language. I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> they don't speak English too good. Right. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. You figure it out. And the same with the Europeans, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't speak German. But I met this guy, this German guy, and he was awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and it... And you're connected by the band and the same yes. experiences. And you know what it is? It's Disneyland for music fans. Really? Yeah. And, and, and no one has a bad day there. Because at your work, at school, whatever, there are people that don't want to be there. Right. We all know that. Yeah. You know, you're not going to go to Macon, Georgia, and not <laughs> right. want to be there. And even the spouses that get dragged along, they're captivated by the house and the story. You know, how big? I mean, how big? How, what's the property size? Like, is it an acre, or two acres? What is it? We've got about two acres. Okay. The house, like I said, is a three-story Three, house. Yeah. There's 14 rooms in it. I mean, it's a big house, man. Now it was dilapidated as hell when they lived there. Yeah. It was yeah, falling yeah. down. You know, that's why they got it for two. So I mean, this is like you coached and played football. Yeah. This is the like a locker room, right? And you're always together. Yes. And there's there, there's a reason why people go. There's a locker room guy or whatever. Yes. In some ways, the big house is the locker that's, room. That's a great analogy. It's a it's the common denominator, you know, and, and things are different in a locker room. And when you're, again, when you're with people that much, that often, you know, it's either going to work really well or it's going to work very badly. <laughs> right. You know, and they found a way, despite their ups and downs, to make it work because the common denominator was always, we may not get along, but we play great music together. Right. And we love music. Yes, and a lot of bands are like that. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I, I, you're coming in, and I was, I was thinking about it. How young they were, because yes. Dwayne was 24 and Greg was 21, 22. Yes, yeah. Dwayne Allman was 24 when he died. Barry Oakley was 24 when he died. They've both been dead twice as long as they were alive. Crazy. And we draw 20,000 people a year to see that. You know, and there's your legacy. Yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting. We don't. People want to know where the crash sites are, and you'll tell them, but I'll say, you know, there's really nothing to see. There's no monument there right. because that's where it ended. This is their legacy. Yeah. You know, you don't want to see where somebody had an accident. No. The, and, and so we promote the positives. Yeah, and they're, aren't they They're buried next to each other, right? Yes. Actually, now Greg, Dwayne, Barry Oakley, and Butch Trucks are all, are all buried there. Wow. Yeah, four out of the original six have now passed on. That's crazy. So, yeah. so you have a new book about yes, an interesting Almond Brothers story. Why don't you uh, you tell us about it, Almond Joy? So this book came about in a very very roundabout way. This is a pre Almond Brothers story. Um, Bill Cannell was the drummer in an early version of the Almond. It wasn't even called the Almond Brothers. Greg and Dwayne had this was their first real band. Mm -hmm. They were in their teens, just cutting their teeth as musicians. And it was a four-piece. Dwayne on guitar, Greg on keyboard and vocals, uh, Bill Keller on bass. And they recruited this young kid out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, that they met in a haphazard way to be their drummer. So Bill Cannell graduated high school in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and the next day joined the Almond Joys and went out on the road and... You know, he's, his dad's a Normandy veteran, and he lives in <laughs> Tuscaloosa, and he's with these, these hippie boys. And he got an education. And it was, it's his story of what it was like to be in that period, mm -hmm. the mid to late 60s, when rock and roll was really evolving. Yeah. And the, the brothers were a cover band mostly at this point, doing Beatles songs, Stone songs, you know, things like that. But they were evolving. And it was obvious that these two guys had very special talent. And Bill had a great memory, and it had been wanting to tell his story for years. Bill, the reason Bill Cannell did not end up in the Allman Brothers is like so many musicians, he got drafted. 
was the height of Vietnam. Mm. He got drafted in 67, had to leave, join the Navy. By the time he came back, when the service was complete, the Almond Brothers had been formed. They had their lineup. Dwayne apologized to him, said, look, brother, I love you, man, but, you know, we're set. So Bill went on to do some other things in music um, and eventually got into public broadcasting. So anyway. He's like, Tuscal- the, Pete, he's like the Pete Guest of... Uh- Pete Guest, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tuscaloosa has produced many great music- musicians, including a guy named Chuck Lavelle, mm-hmm. who was a keyboard player in the Allman Brothers. Uh, if you've ever heard the song Jessica, that yeah. is Chuck Lavelle on the piano. And then Chuck went on from the Allman Brothers. He's now been in the Rolling Stones for the last 40 years. Chuck lives outside of Macon. I've known Chuck for a very long time. Great guy. You'd never know he's in the Rolling Stones. Um, so Bill and Chuck grew up in Tuscaloosa together. They stayed friends. So Bill, I don't know, four or five years ago, said, Chuck, I want to write my book. I've been trying to write it. Uh, I can't do it. I, I don't have my shit together. Can you, can you help me? And so Chuck got him in contact with a mutual friend of ours named Jeff Craig, who had, had written several books on music. Jeff called me. He says, what do you think about this? I said, I think it's an interesting story. It's a niche story, but no one's ever told it. Right. So, you know, I talked to Jeff a little bit. They start writing the book, and so sad. Day after Christmas of 20, 2021, Bill was changed, excuse me, Jeff was changing a light bulb, fell off the ladder, hit his head, and died. And they were about a fourth of the way into the book. It's a terrible thing. It's, you know, horrible. So Chuck Lavelle calls me. He says, listen, man, you know, you heard about Jeff. I said, yeah, it's terrible. He goes, you think you can finish this? You know more than anybody. I said, well, I'll try. Right. You know, Chuck Lavelle asked you to do something. You know, of course. Uh, Okay, okay, Chuck. So I called Bill, and we hit it off, and we, we we agreed. We got you know we got going on it. We worked for about ten months, about every day, over the phone. All came together. It's a great story. It's in his voice, his story. Right as we're getting ready to publish Mercer University and Press in Macon, yeah. published. Bill dies in his sleep. So we've lost Jeff Craig, but now we've lost the main author, right. you know, the, the protagonist of the story. And I, we said, you know, to Chuck, I said, we got to finish this. And we did. And it came out about a month and a half ago. Very proud of it. It's a moment in time. And uh, just the fact that we persevered to finish it yeah. is a, like an Allman Brothers story. You push on through the tragedy. And it's been it's been very well received, and uh, it's got a pretty cool cover. Very cool cover. It, well, it's em- emblematic of the yeah. era. Yeah, of course, man. You know, and there's some great photos in it. And I learned so much, Dan, that I didn't know. And Bill was the last man standing in the Almond Joys, and so this was like a chance to get that history that never yeah. would have been told. And now you're his voice. I mean, really, yes, sadly, carry on the story. You, you know, it was sad. We never met in person. And, and yeah. you know, he didn't. He was a little older. He didn't want to travel. But we agreed that we were going to do a book signing in Macon, and he was going to come over, and then, you know. So that's a huge regret. I never got to meet the man whose story I told. This episode is brought to you by Buena Vista Creative, Miami's premier digital marketing agency. Visit BuenaVistaCreative.com for more info on how Buena Vista can help your business increase revenue and create the brand and digital presence it deserves video and podcast production, web and app development, search engine and social media marketing, logo creation, outdoor, print, swag, and more. Visit BuenaVistaCreative.com to learn more. So yeah. just curious, you brought up, what goes into writing a book? Like, so you're spending hours on the phone and on Zoom calls with this guy. Yeah. And I'm guessing researching and reviewing who knows what. What goes into it? You have to have a, a, a structure, you know, and, and like, it, most books in, of this genre, it's chronological. Right. So we're going to go from beginning to end of his career, his life, et cetera. So you want to get a framework of, you know, what do we want to emphasize? And yeah, a lot of research, fact verification, which is, you know, I got it, you know, that, that's the good part. His memory was incredibly accurate. He had great photographs. And, and so it was a de- determination of what do we want to emphasize? 
you know, obviously talking about the early career of Dwayne and Greg Allman mm -hmm. was the center of everything, right. you know, and um, what photos to use and how to end it. And he ended up working for Greg again uh, right before Greg died. Uh, they reconnected, and, and Greg took him out on the road with him, not as a drummer, but as a personal assistant. And, and so Bill got to reconnect with his, cool. with his friend Greg. And it, there's a human aspect to that. But what it is, you know, you, what do you want to emphasize? Well, what it was like in Greenwich Village in 1967. Right. You know, what it was like playing that, that, that grind, that circuit of going from Mobile to Pensacola to Charlotte yeah. to, you know, playing clubs, not making any money, yeah. traveling by station wagon, you know, and every band goes through that, you know. Yeah, and 1% make it, but it, you see how that evolved. Tell me about Bill. I mean, was there regrets where he looks back on his life and says, one road, I would have gone into this famous, one of the most famous rock bands ever. The other one, I served my country and didn't get that opportunity. Did he, I mean, did he wrestle with that a lot? He was proud of his service. Right. Was, he absolutely was. Uh, again, his father fought in Normandy. Right. You know, okay. He's programmed so he, differently. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, yeah, he, 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 there were ways out of the draft. We know that. We know that. We know that. And he very easily, I'm sure, could have gotten a deferment mm -hmm. and continued on. But he wanted to serve his country. He's proud he did. But, yeah, of course. Yeah. You want to be in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Um, but you made the analogy to Pete Best. Yeah, yeah. you know, you go on and, and, and you make what you can of your life. And um, But it was great, even for me, like I said, to learn this early stuff yeah. that would have been lost. So it is a niche book, but it's a hell of a niche. Very cool. The Allman Brothers, did, they recorded a lot of stuff in Florida too, right? The Criteria Studios, Even yes. in Miami, am I correct or no? Yes, yeah. Criteria's in North Miami Beach, yeah. still, still around today. It's still I'm, around? Oh, yeah. Criteria. Oh, the Eagles recorded there. Fleetwood Mac recorded Bee there. No, Bee Gees in Miami Beach. Oh, the Bee Gees yeah. did everything a Criteria. Wow. Uh, I know it's still around. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the brothers did their, their second album down here. And again, Dwayne and Eric Clapton did the Layla album right. Criteria, uh, which is the greatest guitar album of all time. So there is a Miami connection to this Interesting. story as well. Yeah. <laughs> Your love for going deep dive on stuff. So it's yeah. not only the Allman Brothers, it's history, Vietnam War, space program. Yeah. Where does that come from? I think my love of reading. Mm -hmm. My old man instilled in me very early. He, my, my old man was a history guy. Okay. Loved it. And, you know, you emulate your father. Right. You know, and so my dad was always reading. And when I grew up, you know, history was real big on television. Yeah. Everything in the early 60s, mid-60s was like World War II. And that's what I grew up in, and, and both my parents enjoyed music and, and sports. And, you know, so yes, it was, it, and it was a great time. As I said, the 70s, there was this unique mixture of sports and music that went hand in hand. Yeah. And it was, I would not trade when I grew up for anything. Um, and, and so, yes, you're right. And it was a great era, just like you said, you said it right, and I remember, you know, you had older brothers and older friends and stuff, and then you just played in the street and you learned stuff that way. That's I how I learned a ton of stuff that Absolutely. I would have never learned. It's the best way to learn anything. Yeah. When, when, you, when you're the young guy. When you're the young guy. You know. You, you want to keep gonna, up. You're going to take your lumps, yeah. but it's going to pay off. And, and so sports-wise, it helped. But right. the music education I got from these guys, they were so generous yeah. to take this young kid and say, you need to listen to this. You need to listen to that. And, you know, back then, of course, there was no Google. No, man. No Wikipedia. <laughs> so you had to wait for magazines yeah. to come out and newspaper. It was very hard to learn about this stuff. And you listened to the whole album and the album it art. Was, and you'd read the lyrics. The, yeah, and the liner notes. Absolutely. Yeah. And when a new album came out, it was a big deal, man. Yeah. You know, as a ritual, you'd get on your bike and you'd ride to Gold Triangle yeah, or man. Jefferson or <laughs> Spe Specs. Specs. And then, you know, you'd buy your album. Yes, you'd go home and sit in someone's room and listen to it, you know, front to back and then turn it over and do it again. Do you think that there'll ever be 
bands like from that era, as far as, you know, Allman Brothers, Zeppelin, you know, whoever, yeah. rock, they just play these long jam songs that are 14 minutes long, 17 minutes long. There's still a jam scene out there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, music has changed. It's right, changed totally. The Allman Brothers wouldn't make it today. And maybe. There is a little bit of a jam scene, you know, like the group Fish. Yeah. They're true. very popular, you know, Dead and Company just wrapped. So massive. Up, you know, to a certain extent, yes. But, you know, Taylor Swift, God bless her, is <laughs> dominating the charts and country music yeah. and or what they call country anyway. And, you know, obviously rap and everything, yeah. you know, and, and streaming, streaming has killed yeah. income for musicians. You know, it's just not the same. The, uh, the only way they make money is on, on tours. Which is why the Allman Brothers might have made it, because as a live performance They're band, great. yeah, you've got a chance, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You don't sell merch, you're done. You're done, right? You, you have to sell merch, and you've got to play a lot of shows. Who owns their catalog now, their music catalog? I don't even know. Uh, the estate is pretty complicated. Okay. But uh, they still generate a great amount of revenue. Like, Jimi Hendrix was worth $400,000 a day he died. The Hendrix estate makes about $20 million a year now. You're crazy. And so the Allman Brothers, I mean, our merch, you talk about merch, we make a, we don't make money off admissions. It's, it's yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, a little yeah, bit. It's a rounding error, right. It, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the merch. It's the merch. It's the merch, you know, uh, and, and that's how you do it. And so the band still gets revenue from that. We benefit from it. And so it's, it's, it's yeah, it's still alive. It's just a different thing. But the best part of it is the young kids that come in. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. So, yeah. So somebody goes to the big house, what's the profile? And then are you seeing younger generations? Absolutely, positively. The profile, the general profile, are people probably older than me. You know, the original fans are well in their 70s now, and it's a big deal for them. Yeah. You know, you know. Uh, but the number of young kids that come in, 18, 20, 21 years old, and I like young people, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, hey, man, how'd you get into the Almond Brothers? And the answer is always the same. My old man, my old man, my old man. I grew up on him. And a and lot it's of always the, a dad. Almost always the dad. Really? Why do you think that is? Because it's guy, it's it's guy. It's guy. Yeah, you're it's right. A guy you're, you're, you're it's right. a guy. However, I mean, they have women fans, yeah. and the number of women I've met named Melissa or Jessica, <laughs> you know, they, what's your name, Melissa? And she goes, yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but the number of young musicians that are in bands, you know, that's why they're there. I go, well, why the Almond Brothers? And they say it's the best music to play. The best music to play, play as a musician. Really? Yes. The complexity, the harmonies, the melody lines. They said if you can play Allman Brothers music, you can play anything. So it's great to see that. That's very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. You mentioned earlier Bill's time in Greenwich Village. Yes. I'm sure Greenwich Village, 1960s, there's a lot of craziness going on there. What was his life like there? Okay. So he left Tuscaloosa with a crew cut. And he goes to Greenwich Village, and it's the height of the freak movement, yeah. you know, and he was immersed in it. And, and the first thing Dwayne said to him, because one thing that comes out is Dwayne Allman knew what he wanted to do at 17. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a band. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to play music. Nothing's going to stop me. That is a great story in itself, that Dwayne Allman actually failed many more times than he succeeded, but he never, ever lost his hope and drive and determination so bill walks in and says this guy's serious it's the first thing Dwayne says you gotta get out of those clothes man so they took him down bought him all these hippie clothes and everything else and they they set up they had a residency at a at a club called trudy hellers mm-hmm. which was a true true bohemian hangout place they used to open for drag queens and everything else you know but one of the acts they came across was the yardbirds which at the time had Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck in the band at the same time, Dwayne's heroes. And so, the, you know, you've got this young, budding American guitarist meeting, being a fanboy. Yeah, right. You know, talk, oh my God, you know, it's the Yardbirds. They would actually do Yardbirds cover. So there's all these little vignettes of stories like that. 
meeting Jim Morrison and, 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 you know, characters of that era. And Bill at this point is 19 years old? 18 years old. Yes, he doesn't even, he doesn't know anything. He's never he left Tuscaloosa. He never left Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Big thing in Tuscaloosa was Alabama football. Yeah. And then watching the grocery truck unload down at the supermarket. <laughs> that was it. You know, and now you're in Greenwich Village with all the, you know, and never mind the women and everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what it really captures. How, wait, so how long was, were they together? The Almond Joys were together about two and a half years, and Bill was in it for a year and a half before the draft got him. And the draft got Bill, and the draft got their bass player, so Greg and Dwayne said, well, we got to start over. They met some other guys, and here we go. And they end up in Macon, Georgia two years later. Going from It is amazing, the trajectory of going from covering Tracks of My Tears to singing Whipping Post in, in a period of two years. Amazing. It is amazing. So all, you know, the past is prologue to the future. Uh -huh. The future of the Allman Brothers is captured perfectly in this, in book. this book. Yes. You mentioned that Dwayne had a lot of failures, obviously successes. Yes. What were some of those failures, and how did he get over them? The Allman Joys didn't make it. Right. Went into another band called The Hourglass out in L.A. Failed miserably. He said, the hell with it moved back down south, became a session player in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, made some money, but he said, I don't want to be a session player. I don't want to play for other people. I want to play my music with my people. And he picked, handpicked the people he wanted to be in his band, and he picked the right guys where the sum was greater than the parts themselves. Uh, was Greg always in his plans? Greg, it's so interesting, and you understand yeah. family dynamics. Dwayne's the older brother. He's big brother. Right. Little brother's going to do what big brother says. Yeah. Everybody did what Dwayne says. He was one of those people, you walk in the room. I mean, I never met him, yeah. obviously. But larger than life, walk in the room, suck all the oxygen out yeah. of it. You know, this guy's something. You're right. And baby brother just, all right, I'll sing. You know, you, you tell me. And then that was so clear early on. But, you know, the first two Allman Brothers albums flopped. They were not a studio band. They finally put out a live record at Fillmore East, probably the greatest right. live album of all time. It went gold, and four days later, Dwayne Allman died. Wow. So he, he, for four days, he knew his band had made it, but he never lost hope. He was worth $5,000 the day he died. Amazing. Yeah, you know. But here we are, like I said, he's been dead twice as long as he was alive. So he, he dies, who takes over the leadership of the band? Because if he, if he has that kind of personality, what happens? Uh, there was a vacuum. Because his brother at that point was sorrow, but he yeah. was also 22 years old. Yeah, he was and not a, not a natural leader. Yeah. So it was leadership by committee, which is not always a good idea. Right. They call Bruce, Bruce Springsteen the boss for, for a reason. reason. Right. You know, and, and, and they, they suffered from that. Dickie Betts eventually emerged as sort of the leader of the band, but he did not have the personality that, that Dwayne did. So, they, I, you know, they were together as a band for 45 years. Dwayne was in the band for two and a half years. It's amazing. So, but his, his standards never wavered. They always had great musicians in the band. When you rejoined for your 25-year run, who was the leader of the band at that point? Or they had just matured so much? I, I would say that it, it, it was Dickie Betts. Really? With influence from, from Greg. But Dickie had the personality, strong-willed. Yeah. A great songwriter, great vocalist, great guitar player. But he could be a little uh, unstable. Sure, sure. Yeah, a little unsound <laughs> at times. But, you know, they made it work. Yeah. You know? Here we are. And they made beautiful music for a very long time. Yeah, music yeah. is timeless. Music is colorblind and music is timeless. And good music will last forever. That's awesome. All right, before I let you go, I yes, got some, some rapid-fire questions. Sure. Um, we'll have some fun with it. What You cannot say the Allman Brothers. Mount Rushmore of American bands. Wow, that, that, that is a gr American bands. Huh? American bands. Okay, um, the Eagles. Yeah. Um, Santana. Santana. Okay. Uh, Was Santana born in America? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead. Um, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Wow. CCR. All right. 
Um, Any honorable mentions in there? We'll add an extra head on the on the Mount Rushmore. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. There you go. That's a good. That's a good one. Is Dwayne Allman the greatest guitarist of all time? He's one of the top three. Who's in your top three? Hendrix, Dwayne, Clapton. That's a good top three. All right, next one. Did Oswald act alone? I've been try I've, I've been literally waiting thirty years to ask you that question. Anybody that can completely believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone isn't looking at the whole picture. If you were to ask me, do I think Lee Harvey fired the fatal shot? Yeah. That's a different question than did he act alone. Okay. You know? All right, fair enough. But I don't think you can, something like that, no. It has to be orchestrated in some way. In some way, shape, or form. When you look at the people who are in power in this country at yeah. that time, including the mafia. Right. Yeah. We're and going and back and to class. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a whole other segment on that one. Um, well, I was going to ask you about the magic bullet, but we're going to go. Um, let me see. Uh, all right. We'll go back to Columbus. Will Columbus ever be co-ed? Will there ever be a Lord's Columbus merger? No. 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 Not that I can consider. 15-year-old Dan Ariel is very upset by that, but today I'm fine. <laughs> I, you were better off I, I was, no, I know, not looking having back girls <laughs> in class. No, I can't conceive of I the day that, that would happen. I can't conceive of a day of us doing away with our dress code either. Some things will not change. You're right. The dress code, I don't will see. Will not change. All right. Everyone knows that you have the single-game tackle record. Yeah. There's a rumor going around that you, when somebody would get close to your record, when you coach, you would pull them out of games. Can you confirm this rumor? That's absolute nonsense. <laughs> I would want someone to break that record because I know how hard it was to set it. So if some kid could go out and do it, God bless him. How many tackles? Uh, 26. 26 tackles? And we were terrible offensively. We couldn't get a first down. <laughs> if you're on the field for 60-some-odd snaps, you're going to make some tackles. Yeah. Yeah. The kids today won't have a chance because we're just too good. We're too good, yeah. We're just too good. So am I proud of that? Sure. But uh, it was a lot. What I trade all that in to have won a state championship, you bet. You bet. In yeah. a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, right. In a heartbeat, yeah. All right. Uh, let me see. Favorite Vietnam movie? Depends on the day. Okay. You know, uh, I thought that... Platoon was groundbreaking. I thought segments of Full Metal Jacket were beautiful, unbelievably done. But if I'm in the right mood, Apocalypse Now is is just an unbelievable story. And Deer Hunter is one of the most intense things it, I've it, ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's it's almost movie. too intense I agree. to watch. So I, I I I would say it's a combination of the given day of those movies. <laughs> if you're in the right mood, you can watch. Yes, somebody. I agree with you. Favorite Vietnam book. The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. I've never heard of it. Tim O'Brien was an infantryman in, Viet, uh, infantryman in Vietnam, came home and, and wrote two novels based on fact, If I Die in a Combat Zone and The Things They Carried. It's a series of vignettes based on his personal experiences. A lot of, you can see a lot of similarities between Platoon and his books. Uh, he's a brilliant writer. More than the stories was his writing style. Really? I really love the way he writes. There's another great book called The 13th Valley by a guy named James Del Vecchio, again, a former vet. The 13th Valley is one of the most complex books I've ever read, and I highly recommend it. It was much too complex to be read by high school kids. It was. What, 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 what angle does he take in the book? He recreates his time in Vietnam, 1970, as the war was changing. And it was the Battle of the Oshaw Valley is what it's based on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the combat experience of a young draftee thrown in with a bunch of veterans. And it's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Okay, another question. Yeah. Will they ever bring back the Cuban Super Bowl? And that is Belen versus Columbus. Uh, it's a waste of time for both schools. <laughs> for both schools. Nothing to be gained. No, nothing to be gained other than alumni yeah. having a good time. Yeah, yeah. We, you know. Yeah, we blow them out. Yeah, and that's fine, that's as, fine. as right. we should. Right. You know, as, as we should, because we're just a different level, different program. But, you know, we, we have a very friendly rivalry with the land. It's yeah. not the, the contempt that people think it is. But, no, I don't see that happening. Okay. Uh, let's see. Best high school player you ever coached? I ever coached two, Matt Britton and Lane Jackson. 
Matt Britton yeah. went on to play yeah. at UM, yeah. would have had a 10-year career in the NFL if yeah. he hadn't blown out his knee. Lane Jackson, who played in the late 90s, was the single toughest person I've ever seen. Played at the Naval Academy, went on to become a Navy SEAL. Wow. Did three tours in a couple places that were yeah. not supposed to be. Uh, and now coaches at Columbus. And really? he is one of the finest men I've ever met. So that would that's a, those two, wow. amongst many great players. Best player you ever saw play could be on another team. Or, I mean, Dade hand, County, it's loaded. Hand, hands down, ask Dave Dunn this same question. Roscoe Parrish, who played at Miami. Yeah. Roscoe Parrish, I've never seen a better athlete than Roscoe Just Parrish. quick as hell. Quick, elusive, had a cannon for an arm. Because he was a quarterback, right? Yes. Miami High. And had a great career in the NFL as yeah. a receiver and a punt returner. I've never seen a player that good. Frank Gore was great. Yeah. You, you can keep going down, but Roscoe Parrish, for me, I've never seen an athlete like that. Wow, yeah. that's that that's an interesting one. Based on okay, so this is a, this is a controversial one. Um, I brought it up on the last podcast of, of Dave Arbetter. So at Arbetter's, uh, Dr. Carter Burris, who we both know, tried to break his bench press contract con, uh, bench press record. record. Yes. But there's a rumor that the spotter helped him a little too much. Can you confirm or deny this rumor? Well, what I would say about that is anytime a 78-year-old man is even coming close to benching 255, God bless him. God bless him. You know, because I don't think there's anyone in this room that can bench <laughs> no. 125 anymore. So a little help, you know, <laughs> we get by with a little help from our friends, right? There you right? go. There you yeah. go. Absolutely. Um, Things that you want the readers to learn about from the book. I mean, th lessons learned, things that may... I, I think, key takeaways. I think this book is a story of, of youthful hope and enthusiasm and following your dreams. And sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But if you don't try, you'll never find out. It's a, If you like the era of the late 60s into the 70s, not just the music, right. but the politics and, and the fashion and, and the vibe of this country. It's perfectly captured from the perspective of a small town southerner who ends up traveling the country playing rock and roll music. And if you're an Almond Brothers fan, this is where it all began. And it's a chapter of the, of the story that had never been told until now. And I think that's what people will take away from it. Where can people find out about the book? Uh, the best place, the easiest place to buy it is like anything, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you can also get it at Barnes and Nobles, or come to the Big House. There you and go. I'll sign it for you. You know, <laughs> in person. It's in our gift. You got to sign mine before you leave. Oh, I absolutely and, will. And for brother. Columbus grads, I have some good news. There's a couple pictures in it. There are pictures for you guys. Yes. So you'll you'll definitely yes. uh, for the not yet smart. For the not just, yet smart. Just look at the pictures, <laughs> my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I know I speak for thousands of kids who have taken your classes at Christopher Columbus. You mean a lot to us. Keep doing what you're doing. We're so happy for you. Congratulations on the show. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. This was awesome. This this was just fun. This was fun. Two old two old guys just talking. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thanks, man.